Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. plus on their feet. Nobody's left to beat the traffic tonight, I guarantee you. Mark gets the sign. The wind and the pitch. Here it is. Long fly ball deep left center. Grissom on the run. Yes! 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 Now get ready, this is the Platinum Sombrero Podcast with your hosts, Dylan Short and Adam Doc Herbert. everybody welcome to another episode of the platinum sombrero brought to you by armchair media and our friends at bet online you guys know the spiel but i'm gonna do it anyway betonline.ag if you're looking to have a little bit of fun as college football is officially underway we've got to see austin p in central arkansas play an absolutely horrible game unless you had money on central arkansas uh, we've seen baseball go all crazy guys like donovan solano looking like they can make a real run at the mvp i don't know who would have bet on donovan solano at the beginning of the year but if you've gone to betonline.ag and you just wanted to get really funky and really wild this is the year to do it betonline.ag has live prop bets all the best lines and updated lines and props for mlb nba college football nfl when it gets started even if you don't want to do real games maybe you're more of a gamer maybe you're more of an esport guy they got madden 21 going on they got uh, nba 2k they got ea ufc 4 what i'm trying to say is if you're a gambler there is something for you on betonline.ag go to betonline.ag today play win and have Make some money and have a great time doing it. All right, so I know that was a really, really happy-sounding intro. Um, and there are some happy parts of this show today. Obviously, we're going to talk about the trade deadline. Uh, and it's pretty well obvious that Doc's probably going to be super annoyed with me in today's episode. So uh, for, just for you, buddy, because I do love you, I'm going to let you decide what we talk about first today. Oh come on, man! Let's just go ahead and rip the bandaid. Do you want right to do you want to rip the bandaid off, in. or do you want to do yep. do you want to do good, bad, good? Let's do good, bad, good. Everybody loves okay. sandwich. Well, let, let's do the goodest thing of the good things, and that is Ian Anderson. Uh, started last night against recording this on Wednesday, actually this week. So started Tuesday against the Boston Red Sox. Looked every bit as dominant as he did against the Yankees, even with that funky, stupid field in Fenway and uh, Alex Verdugo, who. I, I swear there has never been an easier comp in the history of baseball than Alex Verdugo to Nick Marcakis. Like they are 
Like literally, Alex Verdugo is just younger than Nate Markakis. And uh, watching Ian go through that lineup, yeah, Boston's not a great team, but they still do have some really good hitters. Rafael Devers and Xander Bogarts among them. And Ian made those two look horrible. Ian was lights out, six innings, two earned runs, six hits, only one walk to go with his eight strikeouts. And that one walk, to me, there's a lot of things that Ian does really, really well, and we're going to talk about a lot of those. To me, that the the propensity not to walk people, I think, is the biggest is one of the two biggest differences between Ian Anderson and all these other young guys that have gotten a shot this year. No question, and especially towards the end of when Wright and Tukey were getting their their last starts before they got optioned to the alternate side, it was just walk after walk after walk. Even if they did get an out, they got it when they were 3-0 or 3-1, and it just became so incredibly frustrating to watch. And with Ian, you, you keep expecting it to go off the rails, and that has nothing to do with Ian. We've just seen all of these guys come up for the past couple years, and they'll, they'll flash brilliance for two innings, and then everything, as soon as they start going through the lineup a second time, everything falls apart. And he just is just a child standing on the mound, striking dudes out, mowing guys down, just going after him, not afraid. You know, the when he faced the Yankees, yeah, he he didn't see Aaron Judge or Giancarlo Stanton or Glaber Torres or DJ LeMayhew. So it's probably it probably wasn't the best representation of what he can do against a really robust lineup, but the Yankees are still pretty good. They've still got some really good pieces in there. Same thing with Boston. It's easy to bang on Boston as a team, but it's more so on their pitching. Their offense, like you said, Bogarts, they got Devers, Alex Verdugo is a freak. You know, they, they have some really solid pieces in there, and he just went after everybody. He struck out eight over six, only walked the one. Even when he got in trouble in the third inning, you could, you could see him just keeping it together. Didn't really seem... Flappable. It seemed much more Soroka-like than it did Wright or Tukey-like. And and that, I think, is just the biggest compliment you can give. So, even, even a week ago, there was one starting pitcher. And now, and now there's two. Three if you count Tommy Malone, which we're going to talk about him in a second. But you feel so much better just... Just having Anderson in there, even if it's just to eat innings. You know, Freed's going to do his thing, and... Anderson is looking like he's going to be able to do his. Now, what it means for the rest of the season still remains to be seen. He's got some kind of layups between now and the end of September. Say he's probably going to get four or five more starts, but a lot of them are going to be against the Nationals, who are in last place. The Marlins, who are fading a little bit, even though they added some at the at the trade deadline. There's a, He might get the chance to pitch against the Orioles, who have also faded. So you're not going to get the chance to see Anderson against like the Dodgers or anything like that, but really feel a lot better than a week ago, even completely independent of trade deadline stuff. Just having two guys that are homegrown, feeling really good about where we're at with that. I mean, there, there's so many things that I really want to talk about with Ian Anderson. It, it's, I think the main thing that I like with him is, is his mentality more than anything. Um, I love the confidence factor, but a lot of a lot of players have confidence uh, and they don't deserve that confidence. But with Ian, it's a mentality thing that he goes that it's not just when he's going well. It has been full bore if he's got runners on base or not. It's it's the mentality of he's going to attack. His his he knows or he trusts that his stuff is so good that he's got a better shot at, at you you having to earn it than him nibbling around the corners and giving you free bases. Ian is a guy that, at least this season so far, he, he's just going right after these guys. He's saying, hey, here's my stuff. You know I've got three pitches. Let's see you try to figure out which one is which. And when you look at that, 
that changeup of his is quickly going to become one of the top changeups in Major League Baseball. He's got a 44% whiff rate on that changeup. That's Luis Castillo levels of dominance. And it's 8 of 18 in both of his outings, uh, swinging strikes on, on those changeups. It's absolutely incredible. Uh, he pairs it so well with his fastball. He's got that unconventional arm slot, but it's actually a high release point or high, high arm slot and, and kind of gives you that that weird look of the, almost the fastball almost rising a little bit, really getting in on hitters. And he just does this stuff so well that it's easy to forget that he's, aside from these two major league starts, coming into the season, he only had like six starts above double A. It's really easy to forget that when you take a look at him. And you're right, it is very similar to Soroka as far as the poise. But nothing seems to really rattle him. Uh, he seems to be having a ton of fun out there. And it's easy to have fun when you're dominating. But for Ian Anderson, this has been exactly what the Braves have needed because all of the other young guys have, quite frankly, sucked. Tukey had one good outing against Toronto, and that was a really good outing. Nobody else has gone. Before Ian Anderson yesterday, the only two pitchers on the Braves who had gone more than five innings in two starts had been Mike Soroka and Max Fried. That's unacceptable. And, and Ian kind of shouldered a little bit of that load, and hopefully he's able to take a little bit of the pressure off of Max the rest of the season because we we talk about Jacob DeGrom and how unfair it is that the Mets are basically like, hey, Jacob, you have to do literally everything for us. The Braves aren't haven't been far from that point this year with Max Fried. So it's, it's good to see somebody else being able to come up and actually perform to where Max doesn't have to go out there and be prime Clayton Kershaw every single outing. You know, another thing that I really liked about Anderson's outing was that in 2018, you remember the series when Acuna hurt his knee at Fenway, right? That's all anybody remembers from that series. That was the first time Sean Newcomb ever pitched at Fenway. Much like Ian Anderson, Sean Newcomb is from the Northeast. Nuke is from Massachusetts, grew up a Red Sox fan. Now, he had to pitch against Boston fans, where Ian was just pitching against Boston cardboard cutouts, which are much more tame. And that was, Nuke had had a really, really good start to his 2018. He was tracking towards an all-star campaign. And then, soon as he pitched at Fenway, that was when the wheels came off. Basically for his career, kind of, because with the exception of that outing against the Dodgers where he almost threw the no-hitter, Nuke's effectiveness has been basically nil since that series at Fenway. So I was really nervous that Anderson was going to have the same thing where he was the lights were going to be too bright and he was just going to be like, I, it's it's too much. It's it's hitting a little too close, you know. But he just he just went and attacked and he did what he did. The we talked about the Nuke versus Fulty as far as the mental game goes and what how that seems to to plague both of those guys. And uh, with Anderson, you know, maybe he's got his own mental bugaboos, but it's certainly not that one. So I was really happy to see that he didn't uh, he didn't succumb to the pressure there. I mean, he's been absolutely fantastic. I mean, we could spend another 30, 40 minutes talking about how good he's been, but there's another player that deserves for us to talk about how good he's been, and that's a player that I think you and I can both agree has had a really, really rough time of it over the course of his big league career, and that's Austin Riley. I mean, don't look now, but Austin Riley is starting to look like uh, not just a guy that's playing third base, but a legitimate major league third baseman that could stick around the lineup. He's looking a lot more like Troy Gloss now than he was a month ago. The adjustments he has made are just, like, he he's a completely different guy. And he's doing much better at getting his, his top half and his bottom half synced up. And he's starting to go to all fields, and he's smoking everything. There has been no weak contact, and he's he's super aggressive, too. Like, how many times does he come up and mash the first pitch? Like, he's, there, he's not even, he's not waiting for anything specific. He's like, whatever's coming on this particular at-bat, 
I have faith in myself to track this and hit it wherever I want. And he, the other night, uh, the first game of the Fenway series, he almost hit a grand slam to straightaway right field and, ho- and hooked it around the pole. Uh, he had the RBI single last night that gave the Braves the lead that he also hit to right field. He's hitting straightaway center. You know, he's, it's not just, he's, he's not crazy pull happy. He's not striking out nearly as much as he did. Just, he is having as good of a streak now as he's had as a, as a major leaguer. I mean, that, that first week, two, three weeks, however long it was before everybody just realized if you throw him a slider low and away, then you can strike him out. I mean, this, this is the Austin Riley we thought we were getting after that first two or three weeks. And this might just be who he is. He might be a super streaky guy for the rest of his career, but somebody like Justin Upton, somebody like Marcelo Zuna. Ding, 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 ding. Yeah, when somebody's hot, like, you have to take the good with the bad. Riley's gonna strike out some. It's just gonna happen. But when he's hot, he will carry your team. Justin Upton, same thing. It And same thing with Ozuna. So, I don't want to start throwing around that he's like a franchise cornerstone or anything like that. Because a month ago, we were both going, oh, God, man, he is really not looking that good. But, but... Credit where it is due, he looks spectacular, and for an offense that has really, really been bad at the bottom, like, he did so good at the bottom of the lineup, they started bumping him up. He's, he's started fifth in the lineup day before yesterday, and he's been hanging out in the in the sixth spot since, the, so, huge steps. Really, I hate to say I'm proud of him, because it's not like we're buddies, or he's not like my little brother or anything, but, like, you saw how bad he was struggling, and he just put it all behind him, and now he's he is written in pen in that lineup card at third base. I like that you brought up Justin Upton because I think that when you're talking about being franchise cornerstone, I think it, it's kind of the same thing as Justin Upton. Whereas when Justin is hot, he's always the best player on your team. But streakiness, it's hard for me to call you a franchise cornerstone if you're streaky. Uh, and I, I kind of feel with Austin, there, there's some things that you worry about as far as is he going to be streaky forever, things like doesn't have elite bat speed and stuff like that. But the biggest, I actually think what he's doing right now is more impressive than what he was doing when he came up last year. Not uh, like the power numbers last year were, were incredible for that short stretch, but it was all it was all basically just torching at first pitch. He wasn't walking. If he wasn't hitting homer, he was striking out. Right now, he's actually showing really good plate discipline. He's kind of getting to the point where he's okay with spitting on one pitch because it's not the pitch that he wants and taking his chances later on. And he did credit a lot of that work with Chipper Jones. Um, I think the biggest thing that I've liked about Austin is last year he could mash fastballs, couldn't hit off speed. Earlier this year, he could hit off speed and couldn't touch a fastball to save his life. Right now, he's hitting everything, whether it's fastball, sinker, slider, curve, change. He's hitting all of them. He's totally locked in. That means his batter's eye is, is totally locked in right now. He's able to go to all parts of the field. It means he's really taking the pitch as it comes. He's not trying to force anything on the ball. He's not having to try to, to knock it 700 feet. He's big enough and strong enough to where he doesn't have to. So Similarly to the same vein as Chipper, where Chipper, if you notice Chipper as he got older, didn't live off of bat speed. Matter of fact, Chipper didn't really have that fast of a bat. It was more about just getting the bat to the ball and letting the mass of the bat and the speed of the pitch do the work for you. And that's what Austin has done such a really good job of right now. And you can see he's absolutely crushing balls. And he he's so big and strong that he doesn't have to swing out of his shoes. It's not like a guy like Ozzy or Jose Altuve who don't have a lot of weight behind them, so they have to swing really, really hard. Or even a guy like Acuna who's got about 180 pounds behind him. Austin's all of 230, 240. He doesn't have to swing 115 miles an hour to park a ball 460 feet. 
So it's really nice to see him kind of come into his own a little bit. He's also played very underrated defense. Now, the arm has not been good so far. He's been very erratic. But you and I have talked a lot about this. I think that that's more of a function of him playing left field nearly all of last season. And people kind of, a lot of people don't really understand the difficulty in moving back and forth position wise, like what it does on your arm. People tend to think like people think more of how it affects your glove. It really affects your arm more than it affects your glove. I mean, different arm slots for different positions and things of that nature, but he's made some really, really good plays over there at third base. He's looking like a guy that you can pencil in the five hole slot in your lineup for like the next five or six years. The question is, can he keep it going? And can he, I think the biggest thing for Austin is, can he minimize those bad streaks? Like it's okay to have good streaks and bad streaks if if your good streaks are significantly better than your bad. If he can be just a little below average on his bad streaks instead of being like crater bad on his bad streaks, then you're talking about an Austin Riley that's going to be a top three player on this ball club for the next six, seven years. You look at where his numbers are now, and and I don't have the exact ones in front of me, but it's somewhere along batting average 250, OBP, say... 310 and slugging percentage around say 465 if you had told me coming into the season that was going to be his full slash line I'd say you know what that is pretty good I will take that especially after the fact that the last four months of last season he was not really doing so hot but those numbers also reflect abysmal first 10 days like negative value like for for the week that they played in july his weighted runs created plus was like negative four or something like that so he has worked so hard to correct those numbers his august was special and he's also he's going like i said about going to opposite field like that's a freddy thing that, that's like freddy's number one calling card is that he always is going to the opposite field. And the more time that he spends with Freddie and watching Freddie and he sees how effective that is and being a shift buster, if he can turn that into a full-time thing, the sky is really the limit there. You know, and, and like you were talking about with the defense, you'll, you'll even see these in, incremental changes. He made an error in a game not long ago. He was trying to rush. He had way more time than he thought he did and uncorked a wild throw. And you saw the next time he got a ball, like he... It was visible where he was like, nope, I got time. I can take my time on this. And every every single play that he made for the rest of that game and and shortly following that, you could just see him being like, don't rush. Every you know, Take exactly as much time as you need and no more. You don't have to get there. You know, It doesn't matter if the throw beats the runner by six steps or three as long as you beat the runner. And I think that you can still see him figuring that out. I think, like you said, being at third more often, staying there, fielding grounders more than you're fielding fly balls, getting used to the timing of, of when you're going to have to throw. It's just, it's great for him. And he's, while Acuna's out and while Ozzy's out, it's, you kind of, you kind of can't tell right now. No, and that's a really good thing. Now, we've talked about two really, really good things about the Braves. Now I think it's time for what about 85% of our listeners were, were coming here to listen to today, and that does mean that we have to talk about the stinky elephant in the room, and that is the trade, day, uh, the trade deadline coming and going um, with, shall we say, less than a sterling performance. 
Well, before we go any farther, I'm going to just <laughs> remind everybody that we are brought to you by the fine folks at Armchair Media. We are also brought to you uh, by BetOnline.ag. There are, as of today, there are 25 days left in the Major League Baseball season. If you feel like any team, possibly the Padres, possibly the Braves, uh, are, <laughs> are better set up after the trade deadline to go win the World Series, you can go to BetOnline.ag and put your money where your mouth is. You can be very rich if you choose to be. We are also brought to you by the fine folks at Manscaped. You know, we talk about statistics on TPS a lot, and here's one that might be applicable to you. There is a 28.6% chance you are hearing this episode on a weekend, which means it might be date night. And if you think you've got decent odds to getting to whichever base involves you losing your outfit below the belt, you need to be well-groomed and manicured or it's going to be a solo trip to Pound Town. And the easiest way to ensure that you are not a one-man show is to get assistance from the folks at Manscaped. You know what I'm about to tell you. Manscaped's Lawnmower 3.0 doesn't hold up, it doesn't bog down, it doesn't cut you in a super aggressive fashion, which is good because that's really sensitive skin. And you can use the Shears 2.0 attachment like a traditional set of hedge trimmers because that's kind of what it is. There's all types of fun attachments. You can turn the inside of your drawers into an art project if you're so inclined. Crop preserver and crop reviver are basically icing on your pants cake. You can use these to freshen up a, or if you need a little pick-me-up or a pick-us-up as it were. So go to manscaped.com use our promo code armchair for 20% off and free shipping. I'm not going to repeat myself because you could just rewind it. I'm just kidding. Of course I am. It's manscaped.com promo code armchair 20% off and free shipping. Manscaped, manscaped, manscaped Manscaped, Manscaped, Manscaped. Yeah, so about that trade deadline. Uh, I'm really glad that we had not uh, planned to do a TPS post-trade deadline extravaganza episode for a couple reasons. One, because it probably would have been about 40 seconds long. And uh, two, because I really think that it would have just been you and me trading barbs back and forth about how underwhelmed we were and you know I keep I try and stay optimistic I try and not get mad about something if I don't have a really good idea of why it happened I just want to make sure that I'm directing my vitriol in the right place and I, I needed to collect my thoughts after this so I'm really glad we waited like 48 hours to do this um this team is not perfect we love them and there's some really awesome fun aspects about them and to say that this year has not been what anybody expected, I think, is an understatement. I mean, the, we've seen some of the things that we thought we would, and part of why the 2019 season felt so magical was because there was a lot of talent and a lot of luck. And if you're going to succeed, you need some of both. And this year, the Braves have a lot of talent, but they have had some really, really crap luck. They, they made some bad decisions that backfired, too. I'm not trying to chalk up the, the Newcomb thing or the Fulty thing to just being, oh, shucks, can you believe that happened? Because, of course, you can. But when you look at what happened to, you know, with the ineffectiveness in the rotation, you look at the injuries in the, in the rotation, not just Hamels still being out, but also Mike Soroka obviously not being there. You look at Ronald Acuna. This year, he's just got this garden variety of injuries. You've got Ozzy Albies, who I literally don't even remember the last time I saw him. I think they're just kind of looking around saying, of all years to push the chips in, this probably just isn't the one, you know? And when, I mean, how many times do you think you and I have debated, does this season count? 
And regardless of how many times we've debated it, every time we come back to the same thing, it only counts as the Braves win the World Series, which is true, but it's also, we're basically discounting 96.6% of the rest of the league. We're saying, look, this only counts if our team wins, which what that really means is it doesn't count. So if it doesn't count, are you really going to trade Drew Waters when you're going balls out for a title that either A, doesn't count, or let's say they had gone and got Mike Clevenger. Are they a World Series team after that? Dude, Ian Anderson is incredible. And if the playoffs started tomorrow, you have to give him a playoff start, which is preposterous, which is ridiculous. This is a dude that is that is 21 years old and has two starts, and you're kind of forced into doing this. Now, he might do great, but he might not. But if I'm really feeling confident going into the National League playoffs, I want Freed and Clevenger, and I want Lynn, or, or at least... Taiwan Walker or Dylan Bunt or somebody, but like, it just didn't work. The Braves were never going to beat the major league and minor league package that that San Diego gave up to get Mike Clevenger. Lynn didn't move at all. Bundy didn't move at all. That was even more surprising to me is how how disconnected the available pitchers were. You know how how the different front offices. You know if you're the Angels, you can it's supply and demand. There's like six sellers that have decent pitching. You can say, yeah, I want I want Drew Waters for Dylan Bundy. Are you going to get him? No, but you got to shoot your shot. You got to do these things. And so none of the big guys that we thought were going to move, with the exception of Clevenger, moved. Top 100 prospects, the only one that got traded was Taylor Trammell, and that was the second time in a calendar year that he got traded. So that, to me, says more about Taylor Trammell than it does about top 100 prospects. I, I was really surprised by how how many players to be named later there were. I think concepts of value this entire trade deadline were just incongruent among front offices. And Alex Anthopoulos has been very clear about once he sets his price, he doesn't go above it. And people can say that's stupid or people can say he's stingy. We also, for the most part, we don't know what the exact deals are. I know that you, you Dylan, have heard some things. And, and I, you know, I, I heard some things too, independent of, of Twitter as well. But you know, not not uh, about the uh, about the Clevenger deal. I just the more I think about it, I was super upset when it first happened, and I'm looking at it going, I don't know how upset I can actually be because if I was in the position to give up Drew Waters for one year of Lance Lynn, I mean, I wouldn't have done it. And that's and the Rangers were not wrong to ask for all of the any of the big guys in a deal like that. Neither neither were the Indians, and I don't think the Braves were wrong to not surrender that. All right. Well, I'm glad you you put forth your more reasoned take uh i do have i <laughs> i've got some thoughts on on it myself first of all you mentioned taylor Trammell being the only top 100 prospect that got moved let's be let's be completely honest if there was a minor league season this season taylor Trammell wouldn't be a top 100 guy um Trammell is a guy that is looked at far higher in prospect evaluator circles than he is in actual major league front offices Trammell is a guy that he's kind of rated based off of his tools and not on how good he actually is as a player. Like Tramel, if you look up the definition of uh, athlete versus player in the dictionary, you'll see Taylor Tramel and you'll see Jeff McNeil on total opposite sides of the spectrum. Um, Tramel is a guy that has a lot of physical tools, but is not a great baseball player, and that's that's important for a lot of these teams. That's one of those things when people talk about uh, other teams valuing prospects differently. Like just because somebody. Uh, like let, let's take Lewis Brinson and Ronald Acuna. Um, Lewis Brinson, just because he was the number one player in um, the uh, the Milwaukee system a few years back, and the main piece to come back for Christian Yelich, um, 
does not mean that he was regarded the same way as Ronald Acuna just because they were both top 100 and just because they were both number one in their respective systems. As a matter of fact, if you were to really hang your hat on the Marlins, I would bet you they would say that Monty Harrison was viewed at least as well as Lewis Brinson, and that's probably what made them do that deal. Uh, when you're talking about Tremel, it's the same way. If you're talking about the best prospect that got moved, the num- the the prospect that was viewed most highly was probably Gabriel Arias, the shortstop that moved in that Clevenger deal. And Arias has a chance to be a Trevor Story type of shortstop. Big-time power, really fast, really good defender at short, big-time questions about his hit tool. But for the Indians, they like they know that they're going to lose Francisco Lindor, so getting a primetime shortstop was, was probably more important to them than anything else in that deal. You can talk about Austin Hedges, but I mean, you and I can argue back and forth about what Austin Hedges' actual value is. I happen to not think it's – I think his defensive value is awesome, but I think he's so bad offensively that it still makes him a below-average player. Um, you talk about Josh Naylor, who got moved in that deal. Naylor can hit. Uh, Naylor cannot field to save his life. He's going to be playing first base for the Indians as soon as Carlos Santana moves on. Um but when you're talking about no deals being done, I disagree with you that I that you would I I would have traded Drew Waters straight up for Lance Lynn in an absolute heartbeat for a couple reasons. One, you start looking at value. Lance Lynn pitches like a bona fide ace. It's a six war season a year ago, on pace for an even better season this year, and he's owed nine and a half million dollars next year. That is less than Julio Tehran made in his last season with Atlanta. Lance Lynn is a guy that actually fits perfectly in this rotation. Now that's not to say that the Braves can't go out and get him this offseason. Uh, and Say maybe the price is lower. It's not going to be, but it you could at least convince yourself that maybe the price will be lower. I do have an issue with saying that this year's not the year to go for it. None of the players that were being talked about were players that were only under control for this season. I mean, you're talking about. I, I wasn't thinking of 2020. I was thinking of 2021 with Clevenger and with Lynn. You're not talking about oh we have to do it in 2020. You're talking about making sure that you get it done by 2021 by the end of next season, which is something that I would have, when you're telling me that, now we can talk about moving a Drew Waters or moving some of these other prospects. I agree with you. I'm not moving a Drew Waters for 2020. But if you're a team like San Diego or a team like Cincinnati, uh, one of these teams that over 162 games probably wouldn't be in a playoff position, I understand throwing your lot in. For San Diego, it's been a long time since they've been good, so I understand the thought process. Uh, It's very... I won't say that I'm angry because I honestly... I got a little bit excited when when the Clevenger deal started getting down to the wire between San Diego and Atlanta, and that's what I what I have been told was that it was those two teams. Um, I, I started getting excited, but I really wasn't expecting Clevenger because I didn't think that the Braves and the Indians matched up particularly well. Now, if you just want to talk about player for player and as far as rankings wise, when people say that the Braves couldn't beat that offer, that's not true. Um, now you can say they shouldn't have beat that offer, and now we can have a different conversation. Um, but I think the I think the more surprise for me is that Lance Lynn is not an Atlanta Brave. I mean, I thought for sure Lance Lynn was going to be an Atlanta Brave. It was a perfect fit. It was the perfect team to deal with. They had the right holes that we had to give them, like the prospect-to-prospect matchup. And I think the bigger issue for a lot of fans that are angry is that we keep hearing – contrasting reasons in the off season we hear it's well the the monetary value isn't right and then during the season we hear well the talent value wasn't right it can't be both it has to be one or the other and this comes back to my overall reason for why I'm, I'm more disgusted than I am like angry I just I don't need the spin like if you want to tell me that that you trust your talent evaluators more than everybody else's and if your guys are telling you these guys are going to be stars and you believe them 
then fine. Tell me that. I can accept that. I may not agree with it, just like I don't agree with their drafting strategy, but I can accept it. And I can I can be like, okay, it's not how I would do it, but I understand the thought process. What I don't appreciate is is, is the the constant talking about how we can get anybody we want. We've got enough prospects to go get any marquee name. And, and while that might be factually accurate, if you're not planning on spending that money or spending that prospect capital, then you're really not in on those people. This goes back, for me, it goes all the way back to the Bryce Harper thing a few years ago and the Manny Machado thing. You and I both know that they offered Machado and they offered Bryce Harper contracts and they said that they were in on those guys. But we also both know they offered them three years and $90 million. Like that was never going to get that done. So while factually accurate that you were in on them, you really weren't. And to me, I understand why you want to do it. It keeps people energized in the fan base and blah, blah, blah. But to me, you've got it does more harm than good when it comes through and you have a deadline like this where you didn't do anything. Where if you hadn't hyped up the fact that you could go and get whoever you wanted, then you still and then you come away skunked. If you hadn't hyped it up, people might not be as disappointed as they are today and as they were yesterday. And to me, that's part of my bigger issue with Alex Anthopoulos. You and I can discuss on a different show because we probably don't have real time to get into that on this one about whether he's a good negotiator or not. I happen to start thinking that maybe he's just not a great negotiator, and that's okay. Every GM has a weakness. That might just be Alex's weakness. Um, it makes a lot of sense when you go back and you look at all the trades that he's done from the time of being in Toronto up to now. I mean, they're all pretty straightforward trades. Um, but what I don't need is the spin. I don't need you to... to Get everybody's hopes up the deadline and then immediately after start talking about, well, Fulte's put on 20 pounds and now he's throwing 94. Or, well, Sean Newcomb has completely changed his mechanics and now he's looking great. Or Kyle Wright's fixed. He's had two amazing starts. He's totally fixed. Like, two weeks is not enough time to fix what was wrong with Kyle Wright. I don't need you telling me that. You All you have to say at that point, for me anyway, I don't know if it's the same for you, but for me, is just tell me, we we did not think that it was a good deal value-wise to give up as many of the talented guys as we think they are for this one player. I can stomach that. I can't stomach you striking out and then selling me on a line of stuff that if it were true, wouldn't we wouldn't be starting Robbie Erlin and Josh Tomlin. That like that's my bigger issue is the spin and the whole thing about talking about well, getting these people back is like adding people at the trade deadline. Like that doesn't alleviate anything for anybody. That just makes it worse. It's the, the PR side of it for me is worse than actually not doing any moves. I don't really think that there's a real explanation or, or a real excuse for not adding at least somebody else. I can I can I guess if you didn't want to give up too much for Lynn or Clevenger, I can excuse that, but I don't see I don't have an I don't think there's a good excuse for not adding another pitcher, whether you know, just somebody better than Tommy Malone. Um, or even just adding another guy like Tommy Malone when you're planning on when you have one real pitcher and a guy with two starts in your rotation right now. So I was disappointed in the deadline. And I will say this. Um, I am done predicting any big names as far as trades or free agent acquisitions for the Braves. I am not doing it anymore. Uh, I will, from this point on, assume it will just be small additions. And then if there's a big one, I will be pleasantly surprised. But I will not predict big names coming to Atlanta because I think we've seen enough of Alex to know it's not really his M.O. And that's okay. Everybody has a different MO. It doesn't mean that Alex is a horrible GM. I will say that I, I think we throw the elite GM title far too easily. Uh, guys like Barrett Salee trying to talk about how we should look at the roster and, and praise Alex Anthopoulos. Alex had very little to do with this roster. Um, I still think that it's a little too soon to tell what Alex Anthopoulos is as a GM, but I think that goes both ways. I think it's too early to call him elite, 
And I think it's way too early to call him trash because it's not true that he's trash either. You know, you were talking about expectations and you know, one of my all-time favorite sayings is that expectations are the thief of joy. And I guess this would have been Sunday night. That's when it started to look like the Braves are making an aggressive push. I'm like, okay, don't get excited. Nothing's nothing's happened yet. This is one tweet. <laughs> don't, don't get excited. And then you start you start hearing it from different places. And then John Morosi's like, the Indians have asked for Drew Waters, and I'm like, oh my god, this is happening, you know. And then you wake up then the next day and you start to see everything that happens. You know, so that was obviously something that was detrimental. Is that it's even even try as we might to not get our hopes up, you know, you start hearing things like that, and it's like this makes a lot of sense. You could make a real case for why this makes a ton of sense. And also, the fact that on the 30th, they had acquired Tommy Malone. And we had talked about guys like Trevor Williams, Chad Cool, Joe Musgrove, kind of in that middling tier. Just somebody you can get who's going to eat some innings for you and keep from burning out the bullpen. You know, because if you're if there's ever been a year to, to rely heavily, super heavily on your bullpen, 2020 is the year because you have 100 less games to worry about, you know. But you do need some guys that are going to eat some innings. And so on the 30th, they went and they get Tommy Malone. And I'm thinking it's going to be just like last year where it's, you know, they get Chris Martin on the day before and then they get the other two guys on the 31st. So once again, expectations. And it just that's where it's like at the very end, we're just kind of left uh, just going, okay, well, I guess this is just going to have to be it. And from a totally personal perspective, my two favorite days of the baseball, or my four favorite days are opening day, final day of the season, draft day, and the trade deadline. So opening day was pushed back by four months. The trade deadline was a bust. The draft was an eighth what it normally is. I mean, just everywhere I look, I'm going, God, this season is just a disaster. Not even not even a disaster. It's just a it's just a whimper. You know, you're expecting this giant bang, and it's just it's just a little whimper. The Braves are still gonna make the playoffs. And as for as much as we make fun of Chip for, oh, th- this is like a- making a trade uh, trade acquisition without having to actually trade anybody. You know, when when Ozzy's back, that is a big move. When Acuna's back and he's not having the, this tiny, this just litany of injuries that he's having, that's huge. Cole Hamels, even even if he sucks, if he can just eat some innings, same same thing. I don't care if he gives up nine runs over five innings. He went five innings. Which would save the bullpen a couple of innings. I mean, these are going to be meaningful additions, you know, and, and I know that you weren't super happy about the fact that he brought up Kyle Wright and brought up Foldy. Truthfully, Wright coming back and doing better than he did in his last two starts, I'm fine with that, once again, because it saves the bullpen. If Fulte coming back, independent of the fact that I might be the biggest Mike Fultonavich fan that there is, like, he can actually eat some innings. Even if you lose, even, even if you lose the game, the rest of the division is so piss poor right now. You don't even have to be an elite team. All you have to do is get there. And then the team that's hot in the playoffs, stranger things have happened than a team like the 2020 Atlanta Braves winning the World Series. I don't think it's going to happen, but it would not surprise me if they were actually able to get in there and make some noise. Playoffs are different. The way that, that rotations are handled is different. There's expanded rosters. I feel like I say this every week because I probably do. But, like, there is still a way. It's not likely, but there is still a way. So, and besides, at this point, the trade deadline has passed. We can stay mad if we want, and we can make all the snide, snarky comments, but we need to just get used to the fact that this is what the roster is between now and the end of the season. Now, they are 
on the road right now. They're coming home this weekend, and they're going to play the Nationals, and then they're going to play the Marlins after that. I They've been uh, very calculated about when they're adding players. I know that Pache is on the taxi squad, but he... Uh, there's something that is just kind of giving me the feeling that Ender is going to be, um, even if it's like a phantom ailment or something, there, there's something that tells me that something's going to have to happen there. And as far as pitching goes, Robbie Erlin is pitching tonight. I'm also kind of of the mind that somebody else is going to get that start the next time through. Erlin has proven that he can actually be moderately effective as a starter. Even if he only goes four innings, that's fine. That's you know, the, the very first game that he pitched for the Braves against the Phillies, I, th- I think it's similar to the Malone thing. I think that he had a really bad first outing, and then when he writes the ship, nobody's going to forget that first outing, so nobody's going to trust him the entire time that he's here, but he's actually serving a purpose. So I'd be curious to see when they get home what they're going to do to the roster. We are going to see Kyle Wright again. It sounds like we're going to see Fulty again. But as far as external additions, you know, they're they're just, we got Tommy Malone. So we celebrate you, Tommy Malone. <laughs> thank, I, listen, thank you for coming. Okay, before we move away from that, I do need you, though, to at least be super 100% honest for me and for our listeners for this one time. Because you put out a bunch of series of tweets, and you've been on record a lot, of saying Tommy Malone will not be the only move. Did that factor in at all to why you were as angry as you were yesterday? It was more, um, you know, like when you go through a rough situation and your nerves just kind of tend to get frazzled, you know, um, you ever do that when you drink a lot of coffee too? Uh, (laughs) I had had, it was like my stomach had just completely caved in on itself and it was just like refresh, refresh, refresh. There's no rumors. Okay. We got two hours till the trade deadline. We have 90 minutes. This can't be it. Tommy Malone can't be it. And yeah, I don't think that I was completely off base in saying, of course they're going to add somebody else. Of no, course I, they are. They're not just going to see who mean, stops at Tommy Malone. I don't think anybody would have. Would you say that your knees weak, your palms were sweaty? I actually made that exact same reference in the Talking Chop Slack channel. So yeah, I would say exactly those things. Um, yeah, but I mean, and and I'm to the point now, one of the, the cool things about having so many followers on Twitter, because I'm up over 4,000 now, which seems like a That's lot a of That's a brag. Words, that get, seems like a straight-up brag. It's it's not meant to be, because like there there's some absolutely awesome, meaningful interaction that takes place. Like, great baseball discussions really can't take place if you allow them to. The bad thing is, the more people that are looking at your stuff, the higher the... The percentage stays the same, but the volume of people who want to play gotcha, I you know, I don't... I don't want to just have to defend the fact that I want to be optimistic about something. You know what I mean? I shouldn't have to. We should all be optimistic about stuff. But, like, yeah, I I was really getting to the point, like, I'm going to get lit up because I didn't want to (laughs) start off being a dick. You know? Uh, You know how hard that is? I I do know. Now, granted, I know you were just throwing a little brag that you've got 4,000 and I've got, you know, about 1,200, but whatever. Uh, Why are you I, making this about you? It's not about you. I think that it's probably a pretty good thing. Because if I had as many as you, then Twitter might not be able to handle the the colossal hot takes. Um, well, they're they're coming after the the. I'm like I try and stay relatively neutral. You know what I mean? You are much more about the hot takes than me. So you having four thousand followers you know what? is probably bad for your blood, blood I don't, pressure. I don't necessarily think it's a hot take. I just think that I have an actual opinion and I'm willing to be wrong. So we'll. we'll you, you can say that you don't like dealing with the dicks. Let, let's just say that they're not hot takes, that every take I have is can be explained that somebody would have that take. 
That's fair. I have not come on with any random thing ever since I said Jojo Reyes would be awesome. I have not come out with a take that crazy, other than saying that Joey Wentz would be better than Colby Allard, and to this point, that's probably the case. Um, but we did have some bad stuff at the deadline. I know we got everybody down a little bit. Um, I do want to say about the playoffs, um, I'm glad you're optimistic about the playoffs. I'm really not. I don't think that I don't think having three bullpen games is a viable strategy in the playoffs. Um, I don't think having two bullpen games in the playoffs is a viable strategy. Now, does that mean that they can't win a series if they get matched up on these lower tier teams? No, absolutely. I think they can. I mean, honestly, that's probably what we should be praying for is that they get matched up with a garbage team. Uh, I don't think that this is the type of team that can that can win it this year, particularly when you have to face the Dodgers. Um, I think that team is – I actually think that the Padres are better than the Braves this year, if we're just being perfectly honest, while there's no starting pitchers. Now, if the Braves are able to get Hamels back and he's just ready and raring to go and Ian Anderson continues being this Ian Anderson and Kyle Wright comes up and, and starts performing really, really well or, Fol- or Fulte comes up and starts performing really, really well, then maybe I'll revisit um, my bigger question, my bigger, my, my, the most, the thing that makes me the most angry, I guess I'll say, uh, this will be it for the angry part. And then we'll go into the good things before we end. Uh, you mentioned that you think Ender might not be long for this team. Uh, I would be excited about that being Pache if I weren't so convinced that it was just, that it didn't mean anything for Pache. And I like the Braves might not think Pache is bad as major league ready. I disagree with them. Um, especially when you see what Leody Tavares is able to do in Texas and Pache is far ahead of Leody Tavares as far as offensive development. Um, but I will say there's, I don't really, I can't find a good excuse for Pache being on the taxi squad. If your reason for sending him down was that he needed every day at bats. Well, he's not getting at bats in the alternate site right now. And he's not getting major league at bats right now. So um, I think that they've handled the Pache situation horrendously. I think he should already be starting in center field and, Marcakis and Duvall should be platooning. Uh, as you can see, Duvall's numbers, while I love the Duvall storyline, and I'm glad he's still here, uh, against righties, he has cratered back down to earth at about an 85-weighted runs created plus. Should be platooning him with Nick by this point. Pache should be playing center every day. And once Ronald Acuna comes back, he should be playing right field every day. Um, I'm hoping against hope that we'll get something like that towards the end of the season, but I'm not like, like you said, expectations are the thief of joy. I'm not going to expect that. Uh, I would really like one of these reporters who have access that the rest of us don't to actually ask a meaningful question. Like, can we expect to see Tucker Davidson and Patrick Weigel this season? If not, why? And if so, when can we expect to see them? Because you can't tell me how much you value your young talent while you're throwing out Erlin and Tomlin to start. I'm just saying that's, that's my my, my two cents on that matter. Uh, I'm hopefully you're right in that this weekend when they come back home, we'll start to see, uh, we'll start to see some things matriculate. I don't understand what's been happening with Tucker and Patrick Weigel. Tucker, who was arguably the best of all of the young pitchers in spring and summer camp, and you haven't heard a single thing about him since the season has started. I don't really understand. Uh, I would like my reporters to do their job, though, and actually ask that question. Um, but as for coming back home, we're going to end on a good note on this show. Uh, when we come back home on Friday, we will be receiving one all-world player and Ronald Acuna is expected to make his return Friday and we know how much he likes doubleheaders. Yeah, and not not only doubleheaders but <clears throat> also uh the next 11 games are going to be against the Washington Nationals <clears throat> and uh the ones that are in between are against the Marlins, you know, we're we're getting to the to the part of the schedule where everybody looked at it and said, "Well, August is going to be the hard part." 
and September they might be able to kind of coast a little bit. The weird thing is everybody thought that we'd be able to coast because of the Marlins and the Orioles, and those are actually a kind of among the better teams that the Braves are playing this month. You know, they're playing the Sox now, and again, at the end of the month, the, the Nationals have totally caved in. And, you know, doing that without Ronald Acuna, when you're facing a schedule where the the, the average amongst all the, all the teams is going to be uh, slightly below 500, I mean, you still feel good enough about your team to where you can rattle off a decent amount of wins, but having Ronald back and possibly Ozzy, it sounds like he's targeting like on-field batting practice, like by the end of this week, which like I said, I, I cannot remember the last time I actually saw his face. So it'll be nice to, to get him back in there too. And just, just what they bring, you know, it's been a while since like the whole band has been together and you, you see like, you know, I feel bad for Ozuna when he's out there like stirring it up by himself. Cause it's like, you know, who's he stirring it up for? So I don't know. I'm just, I'm glad to get to eventually start getting everybody back. And, and hopefully, you know, when, when I've been talking about like teams that are getting hot going into the playoffs, you know, saying that I'm optimistic about this team in the playoffs is inaccurate. I'm just not pessimistic yet because that's not in my nature. I, I don't, I'm not willing to write off a first place team yet before the season is over, but, um, Maybe maybe all they decided was that, like, look, when we get Ronald and Ozzy back, we're going to win games 13 to 10 instead of trading for pitchers and, and winning 2 to 1. Who knows? Um, maybe it would be better if they were shooting for winning every game 13 to 1 and just being robust on all sides of the ball. <laughs> but I digress. So I mean, have they considered maybe just scoring 13 runs every game? Uh, I think they considered it and decided that it would be time inefficient, which is weird. Braves trying to save Rob Manfred's reputation confirmed. I don't know. We'll, we'll see what happens going forward. As it is tonight, we'll have uh, Robbie Erlin on the bump. Friday will be uh, a doubleheader with Josh Tomlin and Tommy Malone, looking to see if Tommy Malone can uh, – we'll, we'll get a real look at Tommy Malone. You can't really judge him off of his first starts. We'll see where we're at this weekend uh, if the Braves don't make a move after they get back to Atlanta. But hopefully when we're, when we're revisiting this next week, we uh, will at least be seeing some of the young guys to – Make the actions match the words. And to me, that that's all I really ever ask for is your actions need to match your words. As long as they do, even if I disagree with your philosophy, then I can at least understand it. So just make the actions match the words. Alex, I know you're listening to this show. Um, just don't 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 disappoint me again. Don't 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 let this have just been a line. That that's all I ask. Let like live what you say. Let's see some of the young guys at least, please. Bold prediction. We will see Tucker Davidson make a start this year. One. But we will see it. We are going to see at this, it. At this point, I would take it. In front of the program, Patrick Weigel, too, please. Yeah, what is that? What's going on there? So I'm saying, Alex knows that Patrick came on the show with us, and he's just, you know, jerking us around. So I need that to stop as well. For the rest of you guys out there, hopefully you guys are able to enjoy this episode and have your blood pressure go down a little bit, as uh, Doc being the more reasoned one has made me be a little bit more reasoned today. Uh, if you want a little bit more of um, of just my thoughts, you can always listen to the Locked On episode. But as it is, Doc, thanks for coming on. I, I actually thought we'd be a little bit more at odds than we were. So as per usual, really happy to uh, get to talk to you all the time. Likewise, and I think that it's probably a good thing that we talked for so long beforehand. We went ahead and got our anger at each other out, so now... Probably. <laughs> Always probably argue so. when the microphone is off, never while it's on. Exactly. It's like family. You argue in front of each other, but never in front of anybody else. Right. <laughs> All right, everybody, that's going to do it for us this week. Hopefully you guys enjoyed the episode. We'll be back again next week right here on the Platinum Sombrero. Okay, thanks. Bye. <laughs>